Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Hey, here's a question for you. Is there unity in the world's religions? So for the past three weeks, as part of our Unity Awakening 2022 series of Sunday messages in small groups, we've explored the connection between unity and Christianity, unity in Judaism, unity in Islam, the three Abrahamic faiths birthed in the Middle East. And if you missed any of those messages, be sure to visit the video archive on our website, and you can watch and get caught up pretty quickly. We had an especially meaningful service last week with our musical artist friends from the American Turkish Friendship Association. And the dialogue I had with two members of an organization called Green Muslims, an environmental partner of ours, as we shared about the connection between unity and the five foundational pillars of Islam. And I also have to say that the conversations we've been having in the Sunday morning hybrid metaphysical group, as well as the Thursday evening Zoom group, have been not only informational, but truly inspirational. So I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to participate in one or both. I know the folks who are participating in both are really appreciating the depth that we are able to explore at the different subjects. So today we turn our attention to India, birthplace of several of the world's religions, and we will put our focus on Hinduism, the oldest and numerically the third largest of the world's traditions. I have a guest who's going to be joining me. Rajiv, come on up. Rajiv Sharma is a uh, member of the Art of Living Foundation and participates in activities here and grew up in a Hindu household. So I'm going to ask Rajiv a question, and maybe only one, because it's a big one. And then follow that, we're going to engage in an experience, a sacred experience of kirtan. We had a taste of that this, uh, just a moment ago, but we're going to go into more depth. So let me set up my question. It's really important. The setup is always the important thing. It's like when you tell a joke, you got to set it up. Otherwise, it's just not going to be funny. Well, this is no joke. It won't be funny. It will be inspirational, though, so that's a keeper. So unlike the Abrahamic faiths that are fairly straightforward as far as faith traditions go with their origin stories, and here's the main individual associated with each faith, and here are the main scriptures associated with each faith, and here are the main practices and the very simple-to-understand divisions, Hinduism provides a challenge. Because within the Hindu tradition, their things are more circular rather than straight-lined. So consider these ideas that I've cobbled together from a variety of different sources. Hinduism is a diverse system, or should I say set of systems, of thought marked by a wide variety of philosophies and shared concepts, and some unshared concepts, rituals, cosmological systems, pilgrimage sites, sacred texts, that discuss theology, metaphysics, uh, mythology, yoga, temple building, among other topics. It includes a rich diversity of ideas of spirituality and traditions. 
but it does not have any particular ecclesiastical order. There are no popes or bishops, no unquestioned religious authorities that all work in concert, no one governing body, no one particular prophet, although there are many uh, leaders. Um, and there are so many varieties of sacred experience and so many varieties of encountering the divine that to a Western mind or a non-Hindu mind, it can be quite dizzying and confusing. And yet underneath it all is a beautiful order that when you have the eyes to see it, you can't not see it in all of its rich diversity. So, Rajiv, here's my question to you. How would you describe Hinduism, or what would you want non-Hindus to know that will be, uh, allow us to walk out of here saying, oh yeah, okay, I can see what he's talking about. What does that mean? Thank you, Reverend. And hello, everyone. It's an honor to be here. Namaste. Namaste. Um, so the, the main thing, one of the main things in Hinduism is that yeah, let's trade places. the spirit. Can I turn these uh, no, keep using it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so the spirit, the divinity, is in every one of us, and it's the same divinity which is in each one of us. And it was uh, as I was watching the new members getting their membership candles, an analogy came to my mind, and I'll use that today. Hopefully that helps. So the spirit within us, it can be considered as light. And it's the same light which is in each one of us. And when, say, if we are holding the candle in such a way that we are, our back is towards light, Suppose our back is towards light, then what do we see? We see shadows. We see shadow, we see darkness. And if we try to overcome that shadow or fight with that shadow, does it even help? It tires us, but there is no solution to it, easy solution to it. The best solution is just bring the light towards that shadow. The shadow will just disappear. So Hinduism, I would say, are the set of philosophies which believe that the light of spirit is within us. And different people call it with different names. It could be the Christ spirit. In Hinduism, there are many, many names. Or you can just believe in some light. And if our mind is turned outwards, if we are looking towards the world, if we are looking towards the people, we will see shadows. We cannot avoid it. So the Hinduism presents a set of philosophies on how to turn our mind from looking outward to look within. And those practices could be many. It all depends on what state of mind am I at this point in my life. But once I turn it inward, once I turn my attention inwards, what I notice is that light is pure joy, bliss. And that was the word, I think, for today, joy. And that's what we feel inside. And 
that joy or that comfort is what I am looking for in those relationships outside. And I'm not finding it perfectly. And there is a beautiful saying for that, which I may say, it goes like this, that you are my father, you are my mother. It's addressing towards that light within. You are my companion, you are my best friend. You are the knowledge and the greatest wealth that I ever had. You are everything that I need in this life. It's addressing to that light within. And then there's another prayer, and it's not easy because, you know, in Hinduism, it's easy to say something, but it's all very practical. Like, if it works for me, I'll use it. If it doesn't work for me, then I'm not ready to accept it. The, if you read the texts and the books in Hinduism, it's a lot of dialogue. It's a dialogue. Asking question-answer sessions. It's not that one person commands or demands something and the others have to agree. Unless my mind and intellect is willing to accept something, it will not work. So there's another prayer uh, which helps, which asks for that strength that may my mind turn from darkness to light. May that mind turn from the untruth to the truth. And may that mind then turn me from this mortality that I, mortality that I see around me to something which is immortal. And the saying goes like this, Asito ma sadgamaya, tamasur ma jyotir gamaya, mrityur ma amritam gamaya. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Let there be peace, peace, and peace. Thank you. That's beautiful. So here's a question. I've read where there are up to 33 million gods and goddesses in Hinduism, yet each one is essentially but a facet, just a representation of the one true God. And sometimes encapsulated in the phrase, according to our textbook, God is formless but takes many forms. Actually, that was from Ramakrishna. What does that mean? Beautiful. So the basic tenet is if God is in every one of us, it's in everything in this creation, then there has to be just one God. There is just one God because it's in everything. It's the same thing which is in everything. But does it prevent God from representing itself or manifesting itself into something? There's nothing stopping it. It can manifest. I may, my mind might see that God in my parents or in my child or some other spiritual being. So it could be anything, anything that inspires my mind that there is divinity in this world and that helps us grow. So that thir- actually that 33 number is very interesting. In the text, there is this mention of 33, but it's 33 koti. The 33 types. So, you know, somebody wrote down that there are 33 types of divine aspects which help run this creation. 
There are some living and some non-living, like sun, moon, parents, teachers. These are some entities which help me and you as an individual to grow in life. And somebody, I don't know who, that Koti word can mean types, but it can also mean karod in Hindi or in Indian text, which then in English translation gets even more, I don't know what's the right word, like <laughs> tortured, mm. and it converts into 33 million. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of translation that happens, but the concept is it's formless, the divine is formless, but it can take form. And it is up to us that how we want to accept it. If I get my love and inspiration in my life from my parents, then I consider divine as my father or my mother. But if I get that inspiration from someone else, say my teacher, my master, my guru, then I can consider them as God or divine. So it's not stop, there's nothing stopping me from considering that light within me as image, and it could be uh, Christ's spirit. So the light within me could be Christ's spirit for someone if it helps them, and it could be something else if it helps them. It reminds me of the opening chant for our meditation, everything is sacred, which is very quintessential new thought teaching that there's divinity in all of it, and our call to be respectful of the earth and one another. One question, and again, we have a tradition of, of 5,000 years, so we're not going to cover all of it or even scratch the surface. So I encourage you to study on your own because you'll see the connections between unity and new thought and Hinduism are amazing. Last question, namaste. What does that mean? <laughs> How many of you already know about it, actually? See, what do we <laughs> think we know? <laughs> I think you know what it is. <laughs> Nama, I bow down to, to the divinity within you. So when our, so our mind is very tricky, it wants to keep divine further, far, far away in third person. But when we say namaste, we are saying that I bow down to the divinity in you. There's a spark, that, spark of divinity that light in each one of us. And when we say namaste, somehow our mind gets that message, yes, you know, you don't want to agree that divine is in every one of us, but you will say namaste. So I think with practice, you know, <laughs> get it. It is, and it is practice, because uh, we all have those folks in our lives who do a really good job of hiding that. <laughs> but the reminder, it is still there. Rajiv, thank you so much for just a few moments of your time today. Thank you for sharing with the metaphysical group. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. I mentioned that we would be engaging in spiritual practice. So one of the practices that comes out of Hinduism is this idea of kirtan, chanting and chanting holy names. Nina and Leanne have an extended chant experience for us because even though we may not be able to tell your mind everything there is to know about Hinduism, we can certainly invite your heart into that immediate sense of us an experience of the sacred. We're inviting you into the experience. Uh, we invited Amy into the experience. Um, so that's just the beginning. So that's for all of us to work together um, to create something for everyone. Um, we're going to start out with a chant, Ang Namo. 
and um, might sound like some strange words, but um, there'll be a little bit of introduction, and then we'll sing this chant over many, many times. There's part of it that's call and response, so join in with um, Leanne on that. I want you to just imagine. Imagine we're here in our room together, and everyone is just really singing and giving a lot of energy. Um, sometimes you sing a song once or twice, but when you really go over and over and over, just allow the song to just take over, something changes. So this kirtan, it's gonna be a little while. Um, so I just invite you to just sink into it, give it what you can and receive what you can. Um, the words, um, are not important. We're going to go over what they mean, but the actual the experience of the sound is what we want you to connect to. So don't actually worry about what it means, but we are going to share that. Leanne's going to share that. So the first chant we're going to do is called the Adi Mantra, and um, it's Ong Namo Guru Dev Namo. And this actually is in the Gurumukhi language, which is from the mouth of the guru. So as I personally chant this and as I've learned it, the Ong is opening up the crown. So we can open up the top of the head and the Ong is a portal to the divine, the divine that we are. So we're bringing in the divine. And the Namo, once again, like in Namaste, the Namo is bowing and surrendering to the divine. And then the Guru Dev, it's the divinity within us. It's the wisdom within us, the divine. So, and then once again, Namo is bowing. So it's Om Namo Guru Dev Namo. And then we're going to go right into Ad Gude Name, which is known as the Mangalachara Mantra, which very simply is a prayer of protection. Thank you. Oh, my beloved, kindness of the heart, breath of life, I bow to you, and I'm coming home. And I'm coming home And I'm coming
Yeah.
Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.